Today, interestingly enough, some of you may or may not know, and I wanted to share a little bit on it, that today is sort of Global Orphan Sunday. So it started in Zambia with someone who got a heart to really share the plight of orphans around the world. And it started in Zambia, now it's become something global around the entire world to raise awareness of the orphan crisis. And it is most definitely a crisis. Listen to some of these stats. There are approximately 140 million orphans around the world, and if they were grouped together, they would form the 10th largest country in the world. The births of almost 230 million children under the age of five are unrecorded, leaving them without a name or a nationality. The average age a child is adopted is seven and a half years old, meaning that many live up to that age as the average or or older without knowing what it feels like to have an earthly mom or dad. Every year, an average of 23,000 children age out of foster care around the world, leaving them without a home or without a family, a roof under their heads. Every 18 seconds, a child becomes an orphan and is faced with the question of who will take care of me, where will I sleep, what will I eat? Now, as someone who's had amazing mom and dad, I can't imagine what it feels like to grow up in that situation without a mom or a dad who loves me, who cares for me, who provides for me. But this is the reality for many, and Zimbabwe is no different. And in fact, Zimbabwe as a percentage of population is probably far worse than most. On the most recent stats this year, there are an estimated 1.8 million orphans in our nation, over 10% of our population. It's a terrifying statistic. And as Christ followers, this isn't something that we can ignore. God cares deeply for those without earthly fathers. And as Christ follows, we need to as well. Because naturally, if our heavenly dad cares, then it should automatically migrate to us caring as well. Look at some of these verses that I'll put up, which are just so challenging to give God's heart for the fatherless. Psalm 68 verse 5. God is in, in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless, a champion of the widows. So our heavenly father sees the brokenness, he sees the hurt, and as we're sharing today, he is that spiritual dad, one day ultimate dad to the fatherless. Luke 12 verse seven. Indeed, the hairs of your head are counted. Don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. And it's just God showing that in spite of your earthly situation, I know you. I hurt with you. I wish it wasn't this way. One day it'll be made corrected, but he knows. He knows. And this one, which is a challenge to us as Christ followers, James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What's that saying? It's just saying that as Christ followers, we, we don't actually believe in religion per se. What James is getting across is he's getting across as Christ follows in relationship with God, as people who follow Christ, he's saying that actually it's impossible to separate being a Christ follower and caring for the orphan and the widow. Those two go hand in hand. It's impossible to have it any other way. And so the mandate from the Lord is clear that if we're to call ourselves Christ followers, we will care about the orphans and widows because Jesus does. It's not optional, it's part of the gospel. And I am pleased to say that as a church, this is something we have been taking and will continue to take very seriously. It's the reason why Runyarara Orphanage was set up, which seems like a drop in the ocean, caring for less than 20 children, but obviously you know, rotating, rotating and moving out and some of the older ones still being cared for. It seems like a drop in the ocean, but every drop counts. 
because if everyone took care of each drop, there wouldn't be a problem in the ocean. And so every little drop makes a difference, and it's a start. But we're trusting God that he'll provide resources and he'll open doors for us to care for many, many more in this nation. There are families in our church who are putting their hands up to say, we want to be a place of safety. We want to be a place where when there's a crisis, we want to be that home for when suddenly someone needs to be placed, we'll take it on. We'll, we'll, we'll welcome that child into our family until they can be placed somewhere. That's incredible. And if that's on any other of your heart, you know, come chat to us and we can link you with the right people. And in faith, there's going to be families amongst us who put up their hands to say, although it's a long and tough process in the country, we're going to put up our hands to adopt. We want to welcome in one of these 1.8 million into our family who won't have an earthly family otherwise. And so we all have a part to play, whichever way, whether it's resourcing and providing resources, whether it's being a place of safety, whether it's being an earthly mom and dad, we all have a role to play, but it's an important role. And there's only one thing more terrible than not having an earthly parent and an earthly family. That's not having a spiritual father and a spiritual family. It's one thing worse. It's one thing worse is not having both. But if you have one, there's an amazing doorway to a spiritual family and to a spiritual father that you'd never have before. I want to spend a few minutes looking over the incredible heavenly father that each one of us can have a relationship with. So 1 John uh, 3, verse 1 to 3, which uh, Ian shared, and it's, and it's part of 1 John, although this isn't necessarily a passage on, on our series, it's turned out to be. And I want to read this together. If you have a Bible, great, you can look at it. Otherwise, it's going to be up there. This is what it says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has yet to be made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. Guys, you didn't tell me. <sighs> it's living up. We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The first thing that I want to get out from this, and I've just got four short points, is see. Do you notice there how John has been talking and then he says, see what great love the Father has for us. Our mind is so powerful that we can train it to only see certain things. Do you know that? Over time, we can train our mind to ignore some things and to only see other things. For instance, if you train it to see the world positively over and over, you will. You can train our mind. God's given us a mind. We can train ourselves to see things with his perspective, and we will start to, vice versa. You'll notice if you train your mind that way, you'll, know, you'll see great things in life, and you'll see the negative less and less. The same can be said spiritually. You can train your mind to see things the way God does or not. You can train yourself, you can think on the right things, you can set your mind on things above, and you'll start to see the world the way God does. You won't see it the way others do, you'll see it as God does as you train yourself. And that's John's challenge, he's saying, see, open your eyes to see what God is doing in your life. The Bible says we need to set our minds on things above, that we need to think on healthy and upright things. There's a number of passages about that. There is much more about focusing, setting, and thinking. Why? Because what we choose to think on, to set our minds on, is ultimately the way that we're going to see the world. So John is challenging us today to say, see it the way you should. There's many different ways to see it. 
but see it the way you should. See the love the Father has lavished on us. And at times it'll be easy to ignore, to not focus on that. Because let's face it, as people, when things in life are going well, (laughs) it's often far easier to see what God's doing. When things are tough, when we're struggling, when there's been a death in the family, when there's been sickness, we've lost our job, often the waters become a bit murky or our vision becomes a bit blurred. It's harder to see God in those sorts of things. But when things haven't gone the way you've planned, I wanna challenge you today to see the one thing that will never get taken away from you, the one thing that will never fail, which is his great love that he's poured out freely on you and I. And even if the only thing you can see that he's done for you at the moment is dying on the cross, it's enough. Even if your, your world at the moment, and I don't know what many of you are going through, but even if your world is in such a mess that the only thing you can see is the cross of Christ, it's enough. What he did for us on the cross when he poured out his love for us on the cross is enough. He obviously pours out so many other things, but that is enough. It's the greatest show of love there ever could be. Some of you maybe don't know the gospel story or don't know what differentiates us as Christ followers to other faiths around the world. It's this. It's Christ's life, death, resurrection on the cross that a perfect God would step down into the world he had perfectly created, now muck and mess and ruined by sin, that he would step down and that if we would just reach out and if we would say, Lord, actually, I realize my mess and I realize that there is no way for me to bridge the gap from you as a perfect God and me and my mess, but for what you did for me on the cross, it's enough. And in that moment, in that moment where you see him, where you believe him, where you see his great love, we're changed. We're given a new DNA. We don't just become a souped up Ford Laser, which is what I had as a teenager. It was a pretty awesome Ford Laser as well. But we don't become a souped up version of an old car. We become a brand new Nissan Skyline. You can see I like racing cars. That's what the gospel does. It doesn't sort of like give us a makeover, like extreme house makeover. We become something completely new. In a moment, Christ changes us from the inside out. We become a child of God, as it says there, that we should be called children of God. That's mind-blowing and it's incredible. And do you know what it does when we understand that, when we catch the gospel, when we catch the great love God has for us? It brings us peace, brings us purpose, and it brings us hope no matter what life looks like at face value. So the first challenge is to see. The second challenge I wanna give to you is to believe. Can everyone say believe? perfect you guys are so good you're following with me you're super excited you see and now you believe <laughs> look this is just so cool what it says he goes on and he talks and he shares about we should be called children of God and in the short little phrase he says and so we are he says see this is what God's done for you and so we are he doesn't say so if you feel like it one day you're a child of God if you do well one day you're a child of God because of what he did you become a child of God. Not what you do, not how you act, not how you behave, how he behaved, who he is, that is how we become children of God. And whether it feels like it or not in the moment, we can have that. It's not based on feelings. It's, based, it's not based on what we do to earn God's favor. It's about what he has done. So it's truth whether you feel it or not. 
And once you make that decision to follow Christ, and I've been talking about this with those getting baptized today, saying baptism doesn't make you a Christ follower. It's a decision you've done already in the past. Baptism is displaying what God's already done on the inside, on the outside. But we don't, even if you don't feel it, and I struggled with this as a teenager, I suddenly learned to, to understand that my faith is not based on my feelings. It's based on the truth of what Jesus has done. And truth is different to feelings. And so we rely and we trust on who he is, not on what we feel like to be part of our family. He's adopted us. And adopted children often struggle with this. So adopted children will move into a family and they'll struggle to see their new mom and dad as mom and dad. It's a turmoil that they face, but, but I need to know who, who my actual birth parents were, not, not necessarily these ones. But what's so interesting is if you talk to the parents, the parents are like, well, of course, this is my kid. This is, this is my son, this is my daughter. They've come into my family. So the question mark is not on the side of mom and dad. The question mark is on the side of the kids. And just like our heavenly dad, when we make that decision to follow him, we believe and trust in him, the question mark is not on his side. The question mark is on us, often on ours as kids, which we grow into as we learn to know who he is as we go on. So that one, that is what we are. Next one, we've just got two left. We're on track for time. The third thing I want to bring up is that children of God start to look different. So the flow is that you see who Jesus is, you believe in him as you realize how incredible he is, and then you start to look different inevitably. And look at this passage. Shares on, he says, that's what we are. And then look at what John says. He says, the reason the world does not know, know us is that they did not know him. So the reason they don't know us as children of God is because they didn't know him. When Jesus changes you from the inside out, the Bible says you become a new creation. You become new. You start to have new desires, a new heart. You never wanted to read the Bible before, but suddenly you just want to. You never wanted to talk to God or please him, but suddenly you want to. Why? Because you're a new person. You're a new person. As I shared, you're not the Ford Laser. You're the newness and skyline. You've moved from dark to light. Your mind has shifted from earthly things to heavenly things. You start to see a shift as a Christ follower. You used to care about what was happening in the world, and you, you used to care about things everyone else cared about. Now God changes your heart. You start to care about things He cares about. You start to see the world from a perspective that He sees it from. It shows you've been changed. Your heart has shifted from pleasing yourself to pleasing God. As a Christ follower, you should start to see over time that more and more you would sacrifice your wants and your desires for Jesus because you're growing to know him and love him and trust him that you start to see that you, you give up your wants and desires to see God magnified. The purpose of your life starts to shift from making a name for yourself to making a name for God. That's, that's evidence that you've been changed. It's evidence that Christ has changed you from the inside out. You're different. This means that those who've not been changed by Christ will think you're a little strange. They should. And that's why sometimes in the Bible, there's, there's this, these passages about being strangers in this world. Your citizenship isn't of earth. It's of heaven. What's the Bible writers trying to get across? That we're different. That we're different as Christ followers. We should look different. We should feel different. We should be seen as different because we've been changed. We have a new DNA. At high school, growing up in my, in my teenage years, which was sometimes on fire for Jesus, not, sometimes not, but 
the one thing I did notice that was so different is friends would get back on Monday and they would be talking about the weekend and they would just have the most hilarious stories of being hammered and this happened and this happened and this was hilarious, this person couldn't walk and whatever else. And whilst I was in the conversation with them, because I was different, there just wasn't that connection and we knew it. So we were friends, but they knew that I wasn't part of their story and I knew that I wasn't part of theirs. And so it wasn't that we didn't care about each other, but we were different. We were different as high schoolers. Maybe it's a case of people talking about um, stories of messed up governments and messed up situations and this country and the other, and you find yourself sitting there going, that is true, but wow, Jesus just loves them. Jesus loves the messed up in the world, and, and so I love them too. I want to see them changed. And so you have people saying, oh, this is a mess, and look at the police at the roadblocks, and there are issues. We talk about them, and look at what this politician's doing, and look at the mess in the world. And you do see that there's mess, but your perspective as a Christ follower is so different because you go, yeah, I do see the mess, but I also see that God's in the mess. I also see that he wants to see Zimbabwe government ministers come to Christ. He wants to see police come to Christ. He wants to see them saved. And, and actually, I'm praying for them, and, and I have a love for them because of Jesus in my life. So, so as a Christ follower, you'll, you'll have different conversations to other people, and you have a different perspective to other people. Maybe you'll have friends talking about how they're so, so concerned about saving and they don't have enough money and where am I going to go for retirement and I need to save this away and I need to, need to put this away for future. And you'll go, yes, that is important and I, I do want to care about my family, but I also know that God's the one who's looking after me and my family. So yes, I'm, I, I'm concerned about finances and I need to be wise with them, but I know that ultimately I have a heavenly dad who's far more important than earthly wealth and earthly possessions. And so you'll see that you're different. You'll see that your heart is different. You'll see that your focus is different. Maybe you have friends who are going through illness or, or, or someone's died recently and it's utter despair. And it's utter despair. And you'll be sitting there going, well, I, it is really hard and it is sad, but I know I've got a home that I'm going to when I die that I'm super excited about. That I'm really, really excited about. <laughs> And this is what Paul talks about because Paul in Philippians as a Christ follower is going, I want to be with you guys, but I really want to be with Jesus. I, I really care about you guys, but I so want to be with Jesus. And that should be our battle as Christ followers. A battle should be, we want to be on earth because we want to be with family, we want to be with friends, we want to see you guys come to faith. But oh my goodness, we are so excited about heaven. We can't wait to be there. We can't wait to be with King Jesus. And so we have a different perspective because people on earth struggling with illness and things, to them, it's it. There's nothing else. But as a Christ follower, you're going, I'm actually just walking through into my heavenly home. There isn't that fear. There isn't that terror of death. Illness is not the end. Sickness is not the end. We're gonna have new bodies one day. And so we are different. It's one of the amazing things that Jesus does in your life and what he'll do. The final thing that I wanna share before I get the guys getting baptized coming up is that as Christ followers, we have hope. Look at this last bit, 1 John 3, verse 1 to 3. Dear friends, um, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be for all time and eternity. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, this hope in him, this trust in him, purify themselves just as he is pure says we can't fully see what it means to be children of God until we see Jesus face to face. 
but we know we're going to, and that brings hope. And hope is believing in a better future. Hope is trusting that the future is gonna be better, and as Christ followers, it is gonna be so much better than we could ever ask or imagine, like it says in Ephesians, I think it is. Hope is so key as it allows us to move through trials of life, through difficult things in life, with a perspective of things being correct in the future. As Christ follows, it will be. We can handle things being a mess on earth. Yes, we wanna see God work and we wanna see him move, but we can handle the mess because we know one day all will be made right. All will be made right. If you don't operate with the hope of eternity to come, as I said in the beginning, you'll find that your thoughts, your mind, your eyes will start to move to the present. They'll start to move to the mess. And unfortunately, the end result is is you'll lose hope because you won't be seeing the world as God does. And you'll start to see earthly situations as the final port of call when it isn't. So that's your hope will disappear as your eyes move off Christ. So as Christ follows, I wanna challenge you and I to be people of hope and what a hope we have. The incredible thing is that as you and I place our hope, our trust, and everything that we have into the heavenly Father's hands, we become pure as he is pure. We start to look like him, and as we trust in him at the beginning of our lives as Christ followers, we become pure knowing that one day when he sees us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our mess because it's paid for. We get to see him as he is. If you have that hope, you'll look so different, particularly in Zimbabwe, that you'll start to have a lot of people asking you questions. Why are you so full of joy? Why are you so excited about life? You shouldn't be, this is Zimbabwe. Why are you so full of life? Why are you so full of joy? You'll be able to say, because my hope is actually in King Jesus. And he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my hope is in him and nothing else. And if you aren't getting asked those questions, I wanna challenge you to set your minds on Christ. I wanna challenge you to look inwards to go, how different am I looking to everyone else? The way that you look different is not in trying harder, it's by and where your focus is. It's not about trying to put in hours in the day in quiet times. It's not about in, you know, suddenly trying to do more and more events. It's about saying, Lord, I'm setting my mind on things above. And as you do that, you'll see a hope grow in you that you never thought was possible because it will be supernatural and not natural. If you don't have that hope today, you can have it in Christ. Your life may look hopeless, but with Jesus it isn't. There's always hope. And in the last two minutes, I just wanna read you a story about the amazing father we have. Some of you may know the passage in the Bible that it's from, but this is how it goes. And then I'll get the baptism guys up. A young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, they're a bit old-fashioned. They tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They grounded her a few times, and she sees inside, I hate you. She screams at her father when he knocks on the door to come into her room after an argument, and that night, she acts on a plan she's mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because the newspapers in Traverse City, Michigan report in terrible details the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that it's probably the last place her parents will ever look for her. California, or possibly Florida, but definitely not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. 
He offers her a ride. He buys her lunch. He arranges a great place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a few years. The man with the big car, she calls him boss. He teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and she orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally she thinks about her folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring, so provincial, she can hardly believe she ever grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on a milk carton with the headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now she's blonde hair and with all the makeup and body piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first signs of illness begin to appear and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days we can't mess around, he growls. And before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay as much as they used to, and all the money goes back to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes, and her cough worsens. One night, she lies awake listening for footsteps. All of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs close, uh, sorry. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspapers she piled on top of her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City, Michigan with a million cherry trees blooming all at once and her golden retriever dashing through the rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave, she says to herself. Pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and I'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. And during the stops between tra there, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and they didn't get the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome their shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed worn by thousands of tiles, and the tar steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves. Every so often there's a billboard or a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh God, she says. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, 
the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone. 15 minutes, folks. That's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, soothes her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips, and she wonders if her parents will notice. That's if they're even there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that are played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins, a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers, and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. <laughs> I always tear up in this part. She stares out through the tears quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorized speech, Dad, I'm sorry, I know. He interrupts her, hush child, we've got no time for that. No time for apologies, you'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. And Lord Jesus, I ask that for each of us in this room today that we would see the great love that you have for each of us. Father, thank you that you love the orphan, the widow, and you love you and I as well. And I ask if any of us get anything out of it today, whether we're here visiting for the first time, whether we've been here for many years, that we would realize that there's always a father who has radical love for us, who's waiting with arms wide no matter how much we mess up. Lord, I ask that you would help us to see the great love that you have for us, that we would believe it, that we would, when we see what you've done on the cross, that we would have the courage to be different, that ultimately, Lord, thank you that as a result, that gives us hope, that we can't explain, but the people will ask us of and will help us point others to you. In your amazing name we pray. Amen.